And it sure is good to be in God's house with you all this morning. It is always an honor and a privilege to uh, just be able to, to hear from the Word of God, isn't it? It's always wonderful. Uh, you, you just think about this morning, and a lot of times when we go to church, we can just think, well, I'm going to church, I'm just going to hear my message, I'll sing the songs. No, no, no. What we're doing today is worshiping God, and we're hearing from God which really is an exciting thing. It's a great thing and a wonderful thing, and I hope that uh, you're, you're, you've come into this with that mindset. And if not, I pray that, that you start right now, that you're looking to hear from what the Lord would have for you because he has something for each of us this morning. Now, last week, we looked at Mark chapter 3, and uh, we, looked up, we looked at verse 13, and we went down to, I believe it was 15, and we saw how the, the, really the very encouraging truth that God uses ordinary means to see his extraordinary work accomplished. And we saw how God has ordained the means of preaching the gospel to see people come to know Jesus Christ. Uh, we saw how Jesus called men, and he ordained them, and he sent them forth to preach the gospel and to heal. And this morning, we're going to see another very encouraging truth from our text. Not only does God use ordinary means for his glory, but he also uses ordinary men. He uses ordinary people. He uses ordinary men and women to do his work. Let's look at Mark chapter 3 and verse 14. Look what it says there. And he ordained twelve that they should be with him, and that he might send them forth to preach, and to have power to heal sicknesses, and to cast out devils. And Simon he surnamed Peter, and James the son of Zebedee, and John the brother of James, and he surnamed them Boanerges, which is the sons of thunder and Andrew, and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, and Simon the Canaanite, and Judas Iscariot, which also betrayed him. And they went into an house. Let's pray. Dear God, I thank you so much for your word. I pray, Lord, that this morning you'll help us to see very clearly what you'd have for us. I pray that you'll uh, give us a mind and a heart to obey what your word says. And, and Lord, I pray most importantly <clears throat> that you will help me this morning just to preach what your word says and that you'll give me the right words uh, to speak and that you'll just uh, take me out of the equation. And I pray that you'll just uh, give this church uh, what we need, which of course is your word. And I pray, Lord, that you'll be honored and glorified in the remainder of the service. I pray that you'll help us all to see the truth that you do use ordinary people for your work. And Lord, I pray that if there be somebody here this morning that's never trusted in you, that today they would do that, that they would fall on your grace and just see how wonderful you are and to repent of their sins and be saved from their sins, Lord. And we thank you, God, for what you're going to do in our hearts this morning. In your holy and precious name, amen. Chances are, as you sit here this morning, the majority of people, they probably, you probably just kind of feel like an ordinary person. You know, we talked a little bit about that last week. Maybe... You're an ordinary person. You're not necessarily very educated. Maybe you feel unrecognized or uh, not very influential. The chances are we don't have too many athletic superstars in this room. Maybe you don't have uh, a doctorate's degree. Uh, I don't, as far as I know, we don't have any CEOs in here of uh, very large companies. 
you may not have attended an Ivy League school. Maybe you're not the wisest and the most intelligent person in the room. Maybe you're not really well known abroad or even in your own community. And maybe you've not come from a, a line of important people. However, regardless of all that, I want you to know this morning that you can be used by God. Because none of those things are required by God in order to be used of Him. One writer properly said this, he said, Our accolades cannot merit us any greatness in God's eyes. God is unimpressed by our collection of readers, likes, retweets, friends, connections, and admirers. And you know how we know this to be true? As we're going to see this morning, God has used many people that were without accolades and prestige all the way back in the Old Testament. And we find this to be true with the disciples in our text this morning. We find our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, He chose men to do His work that were without education, that were in many cases despised, and that were all in all very ordinary and common people. And if our text shows us anything this morning, it shows us that God uses the ordinary. Now, I don't know about you, but this encourages me. And it should encourage you this morning. Look at verse 14 again of Mark chapter 3. It says, And he ordains twelve that they should be with him, and that he might send them forth to preach, and to have power to heal sicknesses, and to cast out devils. And Simon he surnamed Peter. So Mark, he begins to inform us of the ordaining of these ordinary men and the fact that uh, they have been sent forth to, remember, the first thing that they were sent forth to do, preach. That was a priority. Preach the gospel of Christ. Everything else comes secondary. You go out there and you preach the gospel because that's what people needed. And then in doing so, as Mark introduces us to these disciples, he starts out with his mentor, Simon Peter. And the Bible, it gives us a lot of information about Simon Peter, doesn't it? And again, that right there, what the Bible tells us about Simon Peter, that should encourage us today. In fact, we could absolutely spend most of the sermon, maybe even two sermons, just looking at Simon. We could look at his traits, his faults, his character, who he was as a person. And we are going to do some of that this morning and in doing so, we need to realize, church, that if God chose to use Simon Peter, then he can use you and I regardless of who we are and regardless of what we've done. There are several things about Simon that would cause people to find him to be an unqualified disciple of Christ, especially one that would be used in the way that Christ chose to use him. For starters, Peter, he was a, a common man with a very common occupation as a fisherman. Let's go back to Mark chapter 1. We've seen this before already, but I just want to uh, establish this. Look at Mark chapter 1, and look at verse 16. It speaks of Jesus here, and it says in verse 16, Now as he walked by the Sea of Galilee, look what it says, He saw Simon and Andrew his brother casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. So here we see Peter's occupation. He was a fisherman. There was nothing spectacular about this. This was just a normal job. Peter was your everyday guy doing an everyday job looking to make a living. 
He wasn't rich. He wasn't well off. He had to work very hard every day in order to feed his family. And not only that, though, not only was he just ordinary and common with a, a normal occupation, but after Christ had ascended into heaven, Peter, he stood before the council of the Sanhedrin. You remember, we looked at that a little bit last week and remember how he preached the gospel to them. And those men that listened, a lot of them, they took note of the fact that he and John were, as the Bible describes them, as unlearned and ignorant men. Go to Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4. We'll see this truth that they were, they were known as unlearned and ignorant people. Look at Acts chapter 4 verse 13. And this is the same passage that we were in last week, just a different verse. Look what it says, Acts chapter 4, verse 13. It says, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled. And they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. So the, the word unlearned here, church, it speaks to the fact that, that these people were not educated in Old Testament theology. This ignorance that it speaks of speaks to the fact that they were just ordinary men with little to no education in the general sense. So not only was Simon a common fisherman, not only was he uneducated, not only was he not trained in the law of God, but he also, if you know anything about Peter, you know that he was stubborn. He was brash. He was outspoken. And oftentimes he was very foolish. One, one clear instance of this is a fact uh, found in Matthew where uh, Peter even rebuked Jesus Christ, who, by the way, is God himself. Let's go look at Matthew chapter 16 to see that. Matthew chapter 16. I want you to just envision in your mind as I read this what is happening here. Look at Matthew chapter 16. And look at verse 21. Matthew 16 verse 21, the Bible says... From that time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples how that he must go into Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and the chiefs, uh, chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised again the third day. Okay, so let's stop right there. Here we have Jesus telling his disciples about how he was going to die and be crucified. And look at verse 22. And then Peter took him and began to rebuke him, saying, Be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. But he turned and said unto Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan. Thou art an offense unto me, for thou savorest not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. This is awesome. Okay, listen. Jesus here, he's speaking of his own death, and we're told that Simon Peter, he was not having any of it. It says there that he took Jesus. You know what that word took means? It means to take hold of and to lead aside. And then it tells us that he rebuked him, which means to reprimand him. So again, just imagine the scene here. Peter here was treating Jesus Christ as if he was his little child. He grabs a hold of him, and he brings him off to the side, and he reprimands him for what he said. I mean, can you imagine doing that to the, the Son of God, to, to God himself? Just to, to lead aside and to rebuke him as if he was some, just your child? But then Jesus, he rebukes him, and he condemns him as Satan's mouthpiece. Why? Because Jesus Christ had to go to the cross. He had to go to the cross for the remission of our sins. So we know here, and in many instances, instances Peter acted very foolishly. 
not only did he act foolishly with Christ, but uh, again, if you know anything about Peter, you know that uh, he also was the one that cut off the ear of Malcolm, which is the Roman soldier, when uh, they came to arrest Jesus. We, we remember it was Simon who boasted and said, I would never forsake you, Jesus, right? Even if everybody else forsakes you, I will never do that. And yet, what did he do? He denied Christ three times when he was confronted after Jesus was arrested, right? In other words, church, listen closely. In other words, Simon had a lot of problems. Simon had a lot of flaws. He was in no way a tidy and polished and well-mannered, elegant man. Chances are he would not be your first pick for President of the United States. Chances are he probably would not even be your first pick for a pastor. And yet, here we have Jesus Christ calling him in our text just a common worker with little knowledge who's hasty and full of faults, and he calls him to be his disciple. Christ called this man to be used of him, and in fact, as we see from our text, and we'll look at it again in a moment, Christ changed his name from Simon to Peter, simply hinting at the impact that he would one day have for Christ. Let's go back to Mark chapter 3 and look at that. Mark chapter 3. Look at verse 16. It simply says, And Simon, he surnamed Peter. It tells us that Jesus surnamed Simon Peter. That just means that Jesus placed a new name on him. He changed his name from Simon to Peter. And uh, Mark, he leaves out a, a pretty big detail in this, but John gives us more insight into the significance of his name. Go to John chapter 1. John chapter 1. To see that. John chapter 1 verse 42. John chapter 1 verse 42. The Bible says, And he brought him to Jesus. And when Jesus beheld him, again this is Simon, it says, He said, Thou art Simon the son of Jonah. Thou shalt be called Cephas which is, by interpretation, a stone. So Simon, he was given the name Cephas, which is also Peter, which in the Greek, as it tells us here, means a stone or a rock. Now Peter, he would be one of the many living stones that God would use to build his church for his glory. And this name that uh, Peter was given speaks to his uh, dependability and his unwavering faith that he would have down the road. Now, as we saw last week, Peter would be used to see thousands come to know Christ. Just imagine that. Man, again, we rejoice over one, and we should, but thousands came to know Christ after Peter preached the gospel. A man that was full of flaws, who was outspoken, who said too much, who reacted in ways that he should not have, who was a common and ordinary man in many ways. Christ chose him to push the early church forward and preach the gospel. Isn't that incredible? Isn't that awesome to know that Christ could use a man like Peter? So tell me this, church. Can he use you? Can he use you? If he could use Peter, of course he can. But it gets better. Where we know from our text that Christ called others. That shows us the very broad range of people that Christ desires to use. Go back to Mark chapter 3 and look at verse 17. 
Mark chapter 3, verse 17. Look what it says. Mark 3, 17. As we see some more disciples here. It says, And James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, and he surnamed them Boanerges, which is the sons of thunder. So we see once again, Jesus calling out more people and, and uh, calling them to be his disciple. He places new names on them again. And this time he calls two brothers, James and John, and he calls them both together, Boanerges. Which, as that passage tells us, means sons of thunder. Sons of thunder. And you say, well, what does sons of thunder mean? Well, the phrase really speaks to the intense and outspoken and fiery personalities of these men. And one instance that proves this to be very fitting is found in Luke chapter 9. Let's go there. Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9, verse 51. It says in Luke chapter 9, verse 51, And it came to pass, when the time was come, that he, speaking of Jesus, should be received up, he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem, and set messengers before his face, and they went and entered into a village of the Samaritans to make ready for him. And they did not receive him because his face was as though he would go to Jerusalem. And when his disciples, look what it says, James and John saw this, they said, Lord, wilt thou that we command fire to come down from heaven and consume them, even as Elias did? But he turned and rebuked them and said, Ye know not what manner of spirits ye are of. For the Son of Man is not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And they went to another village. Here we see Jesus preparing to go to the village of the Samaritans, and, and Christ sent people to go before him, to make arrangements for him, to prepare for his arrival. And when Jesus and his disciples show up, we're told they did not want him to come. They rejected Christ. And listen to this. James and John, when they saw this, when they witnessed this, they in essence asked Jesus Christ, they said, how about we just bring down fire on them and kill them all? They in essence said to Jesus, well, you know what, Jesus? Since they don't even want you, let's just kill them now. That's what they were saying. And look, just as Jesus did with Peter, he rebukes James and John, and he informs them, as he often did, I did not come to destroy men's life, I came to save souls. I came to save sinners. Now what I find really cool about this and very interesting is the fact that these words from James and John, they were not in any way loving, of course. We could not say that they were uh, in any way loving. It was very harsh. And yet, Christ called them to preach, despite their uh, attitude and the, despite what they had done, and he called them to be used of him. And listen to this church. One of these men Remember James and John? One of these men, of course it would be John, who was so quick to ask Jesus to bring down fire upon sinners. You remember that he would later become what many people would call the apostle of love. He, he was tagged with this wonderful title uh, because of his uh, writings in the epistles, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, as he often spoke of the importance of loving God, loving truth, and loving other people. And God would use him in a mighty way. Hey, listen. One thing we know and we're going to continue to see, when people meet Christ, their life changes. John met Christ and his life changed. 
Let's look back at Mark chapter 3, verse 18. Look again at some more people that Christ called. Mark chapter 3, look at verse 18. It says, just telling us more people that he called, and Andrew, and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, and Simon the Canaanite. We see here more uh, calling of, of common men like Andrew, the brother of Peter, who was also a, fisher, a fisherman. It tells us that again in Mark chapter 1, verse 16. Uh, we also here meet Philip, who really has nothing extraordinary recorded of him in Scripture. We see Bartholomew, who is also known as Nathan, just a common Galilean that was called by Christ. And then, just to pump the brakes a little bit here, we see Matthew. Now, remember his call back in chapter 2? Levi, Matthew. I remember, what was he? He was a publican. What's a publican? A tax collector. He collected taxes for the Roman government. And by the way, as I mentioned before, he had freedom to charge additional taxes and keep it for himself. Sounds like a pretty nice job, huh? (laughs) But guess what? Despite that, Christ still called him. And Christ would use him for his purpose on earth as a disciple, and he would also uh, be used to write a portion of the inspired word of God to us, which of course is the book of Matthew, the first uh, in the New Testament. But with that in mind, with with the fact that, okay, Matthew, he was a tax collector, uh, he worked for the Roman government, he was a corrupt man that stole from people, with that in mind, I want you to notice at the end of this verse, verse 18, who else Christ called? Look at the last person it says there. Who else did he call? Simon the Canaanite. Now, you may say, well, what's, what's that matter? Okay, well, hold on. The word Canaanite here does not mean that Simon was from the land of Canaan. In fact, the word is derived from an Aramaic term that means to be zealous. And it's used for those that were zealous for the word and the law of God. In Acts chapter 1, verse 13, uh, Simon is actually called Simon the Zealot, which simply means Simon, uh, well, it says Simon the Zealots, which simply means Simon the Zealot. And what was a zealot? A zealot was a group of religious extremists that were determined to overthrow the Romans in Palestine. Okay, so, so understand what's happening here. Okay, Simon, he was a member of this zealot party before coming to Christ. He was part of a revolutionary movement that was trying to overthrow the Romans. The zealots, they were really, you could say that they were kind of doing what, you know, a lot of the, was happening in, in the birth of our country. They were trying to throw, overthrow the, the British government uh, because of overtaxation and whatnot. This is, in, in essence, what the zealots were trying to do. Now, the reason I bring this up, church, alongside of Matthew, is because you can guarantee that Simon the zealot would have hated Matthew, the tax collector. He would have despised him. These two men were on complete opposite ends of the spectrum. They were miles apart politically and socially. Matthew was a tax collector that was accustomed to Roman rule, and he profited from it. But Simon the Zealot wanted nothing to do with the Romans. And he would have despised them with every fiber of his being. You think that our country is divided today? Just imagine these two men in the same room. Imagine what that would have been like. But you know what? Despite that, as Jesus was calling this community together, he did so knowing that he could unify even the most opposites of people. 
This very clearly teaches us that the people that Christ called, listen to this, they were not all the same. They were not all replicas of each other. They were not all clones. They did not have the same background, the same mindset, the same political views, and the same opinions. And guess what? That was okay. And did you know today that's still okay? That's still okay. We don't all have to be the same. Did you know that? Did you know that? We don't, have, we don't all have to be replicas of each other. But all of these people, including Matthew and Simon, the zealot, they all had one thing in common. They all had met Jesus Christ. And he had changed their lives. And when one meets Christ, and when one is reconciled to God by his blood, everything changes. Every barrier and every obstacle can be overcome when we meet Christ. Hey, listen, because of Christ, we all can dwell in unity, as Psalms tells us. Because of Christ, we are part of one body, as Corinthians tells us. Because of Christ, we can let brotherly love continue. Because of Christ, we can all be of one mind. Because of Christ, we can be sure that there are no divisions among us. And this is something that Christ would often teach his disciples. And he wants every Christian, even today, to be unified and to be kind and to be loving to those that are in Christ. Let's go to John chapter 13. We see this teaching of Jesus in John chapter 13. John chapter 13, look at verse 34. Most of you here probably could quote this, but putting it into practice is a totally different ball game. Look at verse 34. It says, a new commandment, Jesus says, I give unto you that ye love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. Let me just stop there. Do you know how hard it is to love one another as Christ has loved us? We all should just repent right now. That's hard to love one another as Christ has loved us. How much did Christ love us? Enough to suffer and bleed and die. Look at verse 35. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. Man. Now, it doesn't say there that the world shall know that all men are that you are my disciples by your bickering and your fighting and your, your nitpicking. No, it doesn't say that. It says by your love for one another. I see a lot of strife among those that profess to be saved, and it's really concerning. And it's and by the way, it's very easy to fall into that trap. But it's concerning. And Jesus says right there that the world will know that we are his followers by our love for one another. What does 1 John 4, 8 say? We, we've gone through this. We should, all should know this. He says, he that loveth not knoweth not God. Why? For God is love. 1 John chapter 4, verse 20. He says, if a man say, I love God and hateth his brother, he is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? It's very strong words there by John, isn't it? Again, the apostle of love. Again, the one that called, that said, hey Jesus, let's just call down fire on everybody and kill them because they rejected you. That's the same guy. Because Jesus Christ changed his life and changed his heart. So, church, if you don't have love for those that are saved, if you don't have love for uh, those in this church, then let me ask you this. What does that say about you? Tell me, what does that say about you? 
It screams loud and clear that you have not come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. That's what the scripture tells us. And you say, how can you say that? Because listen, what happens at salvation is so remarkable. We start out as people condemned before a holy God as unrighteous sinners that are worthy of severe punishment because we've all sinned, right? Every one of us have sinned. And the payment for our sin is death, according to Romans. We are only worthy of suffering. Listen, I'm not worthy of any good thing. You're not worthy of any good thing. We're only worthy of suffering and having the wrath of God poured out on us because of our sin. And yet, if I trust in Christ to bring me forgiveness from God, as He was the perfect and spotless Lamb that was slain for my sins, listen, my sin is gone. My sin debt is erased and I am completely forgiven. My sin that I've committed is no longer held against me because it is all under the blood of Jesus Christ. And knowing what I deserve and yet what I get because of Jesus Christ, you know what? That enables me to love other people despite what they've done to me and despite who they are. Now I must say, if you're here this morning, you've never done this, please do so. Please come to Him. It is life-changing. He'll change your heart. He'll change your life. He'll change everything. But if you are here this morning and you struggle with loving other believers, and, and by the way, again, it's a struggle. It can be hard. Listen, some, I've talked about this a lot. Some people are just hard to love. Right? Can we be honest in saying that? Some people are hard to love, even Christians. It's difficult to love certain people, especially when they've wronged you. It's easy to, to, to have a heart full of bitterness. But think about this, Christian. How could I ever not love somebody when a holy God loves somebody as evil as myself? How? How could I? We would all do well to show grace and love to one another, and we would do better at it if we would just realize how undeserving that we are of the grace and love of God. But Jesus Christ, He truly is the one that brings us all together. He is the glue that keeps us all together as one. He is the reason that we can love one another and serve one another and be united. And Matthew the tax collector and Simon the zealot, they were living examples of that truth. Now all this, we see common men being called by God to do great things. I, I'm not going to go there, but we read about a man named Thomas. He was called also to preach the gospel. And what do we know Thomas as? We know as, uh, him today as Thomas the Doubter. He did not believe that Christ had risen from the grave. He had to touch his, his hands and his sides. But he still, he was called by him uh, to do a great work. He called uh, uh, James and Thaddeus and he would use him. He even called Judas. And by the way, he would be used to bring Christ to the Romans to be crucified. And surely, something that we've seen with these disciples today, I would, I would think probably resonates with every single one of us. Maybe at least one thing this morning. And I want you to, to think about this and just be honest with yourself because I'm going to summarize this a little bit and I want you to think, okay, where does this apply to me? Maybe you are like Peter and you feel, again, you have little to no education. Maybe like Peter, you're not very knowledgeable about the word of God. Or maybe you're, you're brash and you're, you feel like you're maybe a little rough around the edges. Or maybe you are quick to speak and slow to think. Maybe, like Peter, you are at times foolish and maybe you do feel as though you are full of faults. 
Maybe like Peter, you're just a common person that's just trying to make a living. Maybe like James and John, you have a temper. Maybe like James and John, you're very quick to cast judgment on other people and you're, you're a bit harsh at times. Maybe like Matthew, the tax collector, you've done things in your past that you're not very proud of. I think we all could say that. Maybe like Matthew, you're not even liked by many people due to your past sins and that kind of holds you back. Maybe like Thomas, you do struggle with fears and doubts, insecurities and, and what ifs. Maybe those often creep into your mind and they take control. Or maybe like the rest of the disciples, you just, again, you're just a common, everyday person. Listen, church, everybody listen. If that is the case, then as you can very well see this morning, you are in great company. You are. If you would just be willing and be moldable, God can use you for his great work in this world. I, we spent a lot of time on Peter. We know that he said in his epistle that we must continue to grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You know that this, this life, it really is a journey of growth. And guess what? During our growth, God gives us grace. And thank God He does. Even when you feel weak, and even when you feel like you have a lot of growing to do, guess what? God can still use you. He can still use you. God uses the weak, the foolish, the castaways, the forgotten, and the ordinary to do His work. And we find this to be true in our text, and we find this to be true in all of Scripture. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I believe I had Cole read this last week. I did not read it myself and go there. But we know that this passage talks about the things that God uses. God using the foolish things. Instead of the, the, the seemingly powerful and the wise things. Things that the world would, would think to be great. God uses the weak and the foolish. Look at verse 27 of 1 Corinthians 1. It says, but God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. And base things of the world and things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, and things which are not to bring to naught things that are. Listen, church, God often uses those that are not seen as elite, not seen as powerful, and not seen as influential. You think of Moses. Again, go back to the Old Testament. It was Moses who was a man of slow speech that God called to stand before a powerful Pharaoh, which, by the way, could have killed him at any moment if he wanted to. He called Moses to go before Pharaoh and tell him, let my people go. It was David who was the youngest and least likely of all his brothers that was chosen by God to be the next king of Israel. It was Gideon, who was a fearful and anxious man that God used to lead an army of 300 men to victory. It was Esther, who, by the way, was a common orphan girl that God used to save his people. What do we learn from this? We learn that God loves to use the ordinary, the common, and the simple and unlikely people to do his work. Isn't that encouraging? Isn't that wonderful to know? I like what one writer said to illustrate this. He said that God uses the overwhelmed and disheveled mother 
to nurture her children into spiritual giants. God commissions a lonely retiree to uphold dozens, even hundreds of missionaries on the field, and God uses the uneducated custodian to share the gospel to save souls. Listen, church, the key to it all is not being seen as elite by other people. The key to it all has nothing to do with our greatness or our intellect or our influence or our abilities or our resources. The key to it all is found in the disciples of Christ. The key to it all is a reliance on God and faithfulness to Him. Did you know the disciples, they were faithful? Outside of Judas, church, all these men were faithful to Christ until the end. In fact, all of these men outside of John, they died as martyrs. They died for their faith. They wanted to be used by God. They were faithful to God. And look, if you want to be used by God today, then just be faithful to what he's called you to do right here, right now. Right here, right now. And you know, I know I'm not, I'm not old, and some of you guys, you, you're here, and you're like, man, you're, you're, I, you could be my child, right? But, I, but when I was going through this, I was thinking about, you know, the, the, the more experience that I get as a pastor, and I guess you could say the older that I get, I, I know I'm not qualified to say, make that statement yet, but the more experience I get as a pastor, the more I realize I just need to be faithful to what God has called me to do where I am right now. I, personally, I, I want to be a faithful pastor of Shiretown Baptist Church. I want to be faithful to the community of Holton, Maine. I want to be faithful to my family. I want to be faithfully serving our great God where he has called me and to be focused on that. And look, if this sermon series over the last two weeks looking at how God uses ordinary people, if it has not helped anybody else here, I'll tell you what, it sure has helped me. Because honestly, you know, and I'm, I'm just being open with you, I struggle at times with accepting just doing the ordinary stuff. Just doing what God has called me to do. It is so tempting. And if you have an ounce of pride like I do, you know it is tempting to try to allow your pride to push you to be more influential and to be focused on that which you have not been entrusted with while God wants you to just be focused on what he has already given you. Your resources, the people that he's given you, your time. Just be faithful to what God has given you. Even if it's ordinary I'm going to challenge each of you this morning, as ordinary and as unqualified as you might feel, to just be faithful to God. Be faithful to your church. Be faithful to your family. Be faithful to whatever ministry God has called you to do, because he wants to use each of you. And isn't that incredible that he wants to use us at all? But he wants to use each of you, but you must allow him to. You must be faithful. You know, moms and dads, Faithfully teach your children the things of God. Nurture them in the admonition of the Lord. Church member, faithfully serve God in the area of ministry in this church that he has entrusted you with. Whether it's in the nursery, or the junior church, or the Sunday school room, or taking up the offering, or whatever it is, be faithful to what he's done. Be faithful in the ordinary. Be faithful to him in your job. Hey, you know what? We need good Christian workers out in the workforce, don't we? Be faithful to your job. Be faithful in every opportunity that he's given you and in everything that he has entrusted you with. You may feel like your life is ordinary, like you are ordinary, but listen close. God is extraordinary. You may feel weak, but God is strong. You may feel uneducated, but like we're going to see tonight, our God is full of wisdom. 
You may feel full of faults and sin, but guess what? Our God is righteous and holy. You may feel uninfluential, but our God is full of power. You may feel like your sins are unforgivable and have taken completely away your ability to serve our King, but our God, thank goodness, He is full of grace and forgiveness. You may feel unqualified for service, but God qualifies the unqualified just as He did with these disciples. They were given the credentials by God, by Jesus Christ Himself, with the authority and the ability to do what needed to be done. And the question for you, church, this morning is this. Will you allow him to do that? Will you allow God to use you in spite of you? Hey, listen, you understand that? Whenever God uses you and I, he uses us in spite of ourselves. Will you allow him to do that, though? And again, remember the fact that we are allowed to serve him in spite of ourselves. That is a beautiful picture of his grace towards us. And his mercies are new every morning, aren't they? His grace is new every day. So I want to encourage you to be a part of what God wants to do in this church, in your community, in your life as a servant of God. And as you do, be sure to thank him for allowing such lowly people as ourselves to serve a lofty God as he. It really is an honor and a privilege that we get to serve our King, Jesus Christ. Let's go to Luke chapter 1. I want to just look at one more place. And this is a great way to end this message, I believe. A great, a great passage of scripture. And, and I think that our prayer should be, as Mary, when she found out that she was chosen by God to carry and raise the Messiah. In Luke chapter 1. Now if you've attended here any period of time, you know that we don't worship Mary, we worship the one true God. But Mary was used by God to carry Jesus. And that again just shows you that God uses ordinary people to accomplish his great work. And our prayer should be as Mary when she found out, look what it says in verse 46. She finds out that she is going to carry the Lord Jesus Christ in her womb, and look what it says, and Mary said, my soul doth magnify the Lord. And my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior. For he hath regarded the low estate of his handmaiden. For behold, from henceforth all generations shall call me blessed. For he that is mighty hath done to me great things, and holy is his name. Let's just stop there. What is she doing? She's praising God. Thank you, God, for using me. For being willing to use somebody as lowly as me. She's, she's really excited about this. Look what it says in verse 50. And his mercy is on them that fear him from generation to generation. And again, I want to stop there. The fact that God would even want to use us is just a great display of his mercy. His mercy. Look at verse 51. He hath showed strength with his arm. He hath scattered the, prou scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. And look what it says. He hath put down the mighty from their seats and exalted them of low degree. And this, this is such a great example, church, of humility and gratefulness and adoration towards our great God. And thank God he wants to use us. And thank God he gives us the ability as just ordinary people 
just doing whatever he calls us to do. Thank God that he would allow us to be used as part of his plan here on earth. So where do you fit in all of that? How are you doing in serving the Lord? He is worthy of our life. He is worthy of our service. And we should never have this mindset of, oh, i got to do this for God. No, no, no. You get to do this for God. You get to serve Him. What a great God we have. What a great God we serve. May our prayer be, as Mary, just humble gratefulness and adoration for a God that would even consider allowing us to serve Him and live our life for Him. Let's pray.